That's me on the podcast Sharing a song With something to say about it With Thin Lear And Diagra Moon Losing my opinion Thin Lear, how you doing today? I'm doing alright I'm doing okay I'm a little you seem all right. fried I had that show on Saturday Les Poissons Rouge. Oh, how'd that go? It was great. I had a really good time. Uh, dudes from Hermitage Green kindly uh, asked me to open, and crowd was good. Really enjoyable, and it was it was like that's a venue I've I've loved for a really long time. So just getting to be out on that stage was was very meaningful for me. But then I went to a, a bachelor party right oh, after, no, which was very fun, but. Uh, <laughs> So then that weekend was just, um, it was a lot. It was a lot happening. So I kind of just crawled right into Monday. And now here I am in front of you. Oh, yeah. boy. I'm going to throw you through the ringer. That's right. I do want to get this show started in earnest uh, in just a second. Um, but I also did want to just take a moment to respond to your, uh, to your claims about Oliver Anthony, uh, Richmond, north of Richmond. You brought that <laughs> up did. last week. And that was like... You know, let's contextualize how I brought it up. You know, like this was introduced to me through uh, conservative media outlets screaming about that how you digest regularly. Great it was. Yeah, you know I visit those regularly. Yeah, yeah, Foxnews.com bookmarked. Big Breitbart guy. But yeah, you know, he had that line in the song and he was sort of punching down and uh, the whole thing just sort of rang false as like a carpet bombed uh, ad mm. rather than organic growth. But I mean, yeah. in, in recent days, he has come out and said things that have been less. He got really pissed off at the GOP for using his yeah. song, just like adopting it. He, he was against them, it sounded like. He's, he's made me feel more complicated towards him, I'll say. Uh, I don't feel differently about the song, but um, I, about yeah. him, I'm, I'm not sure. I, re I really don't know where he's at. So when you had brought it up, I didn't know anything about it. I did take a little time to check it out. Uh, the song on YouTube. Um, that video does totally look DIY to me. That looks very much like a he just put a camera up. I, I didn't. But it's three cameras. I thought it was just one angle. Different I don't know. I, I could look back, but it was like ah, I felt like I could shoot this. It wasn't anything. Could you fancy. grow that beard? Though? Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the song. Yeah, that beard might have been. He, he could have taped that on. <laughs> okay, that might have been DIY as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I got the sense that. It was coming from an honest place, although misguided, like punching down on people on welfare. Like, that's not where the root of your issues are coming from, buddy. But it's like, I don't know. I, I watch, uh, there's a YouTuber named Peter Santanello, and he just goes to regions of the country or other countries and just like films interactions with people. It's very like just on the ground kind of stuff. Uh, so I was watching an episode where he just goes to West Virginia, which is where I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Anthony's from, and everybody in West Virginia, all these people over and over again, the message was either you work like 60 hours a week or you're on welfare checks. And it's this very kind of complicated, layered, like multi-generational social dynamic. It's, it's bigger than I can really uh, wrap my head around. But it's like, if that's the place that this guy, Anthony, was coming from, I don't know. I didn't get like an ultimate like, oh, this this guy reaction. So I think maybe the the but fact he got wrapped up in the GOP messaging. I don't know. I, on one hand, I just I kind of feel for the artist himself a little bit, but I'm also like, mm, write a better song. <laughs> sure. Well, that's the thing that was complicated for me is like, how complicit is he or was he in the, you know, Fox News conservative angle carpet bombing that very obviously happened. Like this was not just like organic algorithm picking it up. Like all these sites kind of went live at the same time. There's this guy coming out from Glenn Beck's old crew that was saying that he was had a hand in it or whatever. And it's just mm. like, seemed a lot more complicated and potentially nefarious Muddy. than just like, oh, I released a video and it did well. Uh, so my, my- 40 yeah, million views in three days pretty well, or yeah. whatever. My concern or, or my issue with it was like, was he just kind of in on the joke the whole time did he, you know, is, is, did he essentially sell out to this world? Now, in, in, in the aftermath of it, it seems like maybe he didn't, but I don't know. I don't know, because you, you had to kind of sign on for, for, for what happened there. So, um, yeah, I really don't know. It's a whole, Jury's still out. 
it's a jumbly, squirmy ball of, uh, of potential problems. Uh, not the usual fare for this show. Uh, losing my opinion. Talking politics. Nope. I'm going to stay away from that Tom shit. Tom and Matt. <laughs> no, this is Losing My Opinion, where uh, we're just all about goofs and fun and good tunes. Uh, we come in and surprise the other person uh, with the selects, uh. yeah. uh. <laughs> select uh, list of songs to share, things we want to say about them. We like to keep the other person on their toes. It's all good, clean fun. And I am, of course, mourning the end of summer break, indie artist Niagara Moon, a.k.a. Thomas Irwin. I am just loving the start of fall indie musician. Thin Lear, a.k.a. Matt Longo. Actually, I'm not. I really, yeah, I, I'm morning summer, too. I do not like fall, but here we are. Hey, do you have spotted lanternflies where you are? You mean lightning bugs? Because we're getting crushed with those things. No, spotted lanternflies. They're like a plague. What you got to look this up. We have mosquitoes up the wazoo, I'll tell you that, well, this we, year. We have that, too. This oh, is we don't have this thing. shit. This like, looks nasty. Spotted lanternfly? They, they are like fat juicy disgusting no little things they're an invasive you. species yeah they are all over the place in in the city they're all over the place here in jersey nope. i was out last night with the baby and we were just they're just they, they are brazen like they land on your forehead they're out of control we got none of those in at least western massachusetts as far as i can tell we we got other problems but okay yeah no lantern flies non-lantern fly related mm-hmm. well i was gonna go out i was gonna venture out this weekend after my show and see this documentary. Um, I did not, because I went to a bachelor party instead. But I do plan on going to see this doc. I don't know if you've heard about it. Uh, it's a new Elephant Six documentary that's oh, coming out. I've seen mention of it on yeah. Uh, on X. Yeah, looks kind of cool. <laughs> I made an X joke on stage the other night, and no one enjoyed it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll try again next time. Uh, but this doc is chronicling the rise and really rise of the bands in that crew. You know, Living Tremor Control. Great stuff. Uh, Neutral Milk Hotel, obviously. Apples and Stereo obviously. of Montreal. Tangentially of Montreal. Elf Power. Elf Power, yes. Circulatory System, whom I reached out to members of that band through MySpace in like 2006. Mm-hmm. And they were really nice to me and Nate. <laughs> we were like, hey, we really like you guys. And they were just so supportive. So uh, thank you circulatory system but uh haven't seen it yet i i know i'm going to this is like media that was designed in a lab for me i feel mm. like i want to see a doc of these musicians like weirdly miking uh like a timpani for a song you know or playing the accordion in a, in a bathtub like this is what i want to see i hope there's shots of them recording i know there will be i'm very pumped show me the making of green typewriters parts one through nine or whatever <laughs> I want to see it all. Uh, I was going to go to the IFC theater just like by myself to see it. That's how badly I want to see this. Last time I did that was when they did the Wicker Man uh, like reissue. And I just sat there like a jackass and loved it. But uh, anyway, I was thinking about some of these records that are so beloved now, obviously in the aeroplane, or the which I think we did a podcast on at some point, right? We did. We talked about that album for an entire episode on a previous podcast. Way back when, yeah. Dusk at Cubist Castle, you know, there, there, there are so many albums. That is a masterpiece. There's so many records in that from that group that are now considered like these DIY rough-hewn classics, right? But they were not received that way upon initial release. They weren't necessarily greeted with negative press, but it just There's wasn't... no press. It right? wasn't a phenomenon. You know, it'd be like, oh, they got a good Pitchfork review or whatever back when that was more meaningful. Um, but it got me thinking, what are some of those like elephant six adjacent diy sounding records that could have had the same kind of resurgence or could have the same kind of resurgence critically uh in the indie world to become more widespread in like a second life Hmm. so i gave myself some criteria right so diy sounding obviously can't have had a big commercial impact so no like bonnevere's forever forever ago or something like that where it's like obviously it made a mark that was a big seller <laughs> we're not worried yeah, about that it, one it did fine i'm trying to pick albums that were released like vaguely around a decade ago as it kind of took those elephant six records around that time to reach peak like after the fact appeal you know a lot of these records came out in, like 96 to 99 then they started seeing that like peak cultural impact in like the late 2000s yeah, it took like 10 years to germinate. Right, so that, that's that's the criteria here. So we're looking at records from like 07 to like, 
I don't know, 2013, 2014, something like that. Um, Thin Lear's golden years. (laughs) Right, those are my golden years. That's when I peaked. Uh, Physically, I peaked. Uh, None of these records are truly under the radar albums because that's not what those big Elephant Six records were. Like, there was some press. Um, It's just like, those were albums that had some commercial juice that then in hindsight turned into this like emotional cultural powerhouse for people discovering it later on. These are albums, I think, if we're going to look at this like the stock market, and you know how I love stocks. Stocks all the way. All the way to the moon with these records or whatever it is that stupid people say. Uh, I am very interested in kind of getting your take on what would you invest your money in if we were looking at these records as like, you know, some potential here to, to rise. It's going to blow up in the future. Exactly. Yeah. I gotcha. So let's, let's, let's start then. Let's start. We're going to, I'm going to take you back to, to uh, uh, 2009 right now. Okay. All right. Pretty solid year for music. Uh, a record by a fella named Twin Shadow. Have you heard of Twin Shadow? I have not. Great. Great. We're starting off good. Uh, this is a song called uh, When We're Dancing that I'd like to listen to. It's from a record called Forget. This album is really special to me. Uh, I've just gone through a breakup when I first heard it, and the whole thing just like kind of hit the spot. This is a breakup album that is on par with Bonavera's Forema, but it comes from an entirely different sonic world. This is like, I think this is right up your alley, actually, man. This is like twinkling chugging DIY 80s approximation production. Okay. But also so much more than that. There's magic on this record. It's again, in, in keeping with our criteria, it's mostly the work of one person, uh, George Lewis Jr., who is performs under the moniker of Twin Shadow, with some help from Chris Taylor of Grizzly Bear uh, on like production and mixing side. Uh, more than any other record that we're about to talk about, This one picks a sonic and thematic lane and just like sticks with it in a way that makes it kind of feel like a concept album. Uh, This dude is a master arranger. It sounds DIY to me, but it's like polished DIY. My favorite kind. And and I think you'll probably feel the same way. Yeah, this is not like um, the dudes in Neutral Milk Hotel like doing like the blown out like smile update kind of thing on some of their music. Like this is a, a different kind of DIY, but it's DIY all the same. He's an exceptional guitar player. And he, and he kind of uses guitars like synths a bit in a way that's really interesting. Okay. But um, this album, I think, could become like a TikTok thing. I, I, could, I could see it like kind of taking off in that way, people using it like that. What's the name of the album and, then, and the name of the song one more time? The name of the album is called Forget. Um, the name of the song is When We're Dancing. And the artist is Twin Shadow. Yeah, right. And this, this whole record is great. It's, it, uh, every song is great. There's no weak track on it. Got those nauseous scents. Slick bass. I'm trying to remember all the things about this song so much i guess you already talked about that at length uh it is uh dreamy and unexpected and it's it still sounds fresh to me 
And I like that I can hear him working. Hmm. You know, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't sound like a band album. It doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like an expensive record, yeah. but it sounds tinkered with. Meticulous, uh, yeah. And yeah, meticulous. And like, you can tell like he got the absolute best out of a limited situation is what I hear. Mm. And those are some of the best records for me. I thought it was I. Mm. Really? What, like 80s style? Yeah, 80s style. Yeah, it's just too much. Like they always have the same kind of mustaches and the same kind of shirts they wear. That's like when the 80s revival thing was happening in the late 2000s, early 2010s. That's, you know, it's not quite pitchy, not quite whiny, but it's in the ballpark of that. I don't know. There's a lot of those bands. They start to blend together for me. If if that song had had like a a proper vocalist, like somebody who specialized in, in singing well and having good pipes or maybe a female vocalist that maybe could have uh, enticed me a little bit more. Uh, I heard good production, but nothing that really spoke to my soul, I guess. Okay. All right. So you're not going to invest money in that record. Uh, if I'm Mark Cuban, I'm passing on that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're Mark Cuban, you'll just like buy the Timberwolves or some bullshit. <laughs> uh, you probably don't even listen to music at all. No. Uh, so you go to like a Taylor Swift or Rolling Stones concert. You're just for the photo ops. At this point, yeah. it's like, right. It's like, is that even, is this even music anymore? Um all right, let's try something else. Sorry. We're going back to 2007. All right. Uh, an artist called Phosphorescent, who his name is actually Matt Hoke, H-O-U-C-K. I don't, even, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but um, came up with a record called Pride in 2007. We're going to listen to a song called At Death, A Proclamation. This fella is an exceptional songwriter. He has a hard time writing a song that isn't beautiful. Pretty much every one of his records is stellar. Um, he's got this album called Muchacho that is, for me, a classic, as is a, another one called Tears to Taking It Easy. Uh, but our record of choice today is Pride because I think it, it aligns more closely with that like DIY kind of style that we're talking right. about. Elephant Six Legacy Sound. Kind of, on this one, yeah. You know, the, the Pride wasn't his debut, but it was like his jump to a bigger indie in, in Dead Oceans. And it was like really well-received critically, but it wasn't this huge ubiquitous thing that I think we're we're looking at. This is very obviously the work of one person's vision. I think you will hear that. Uh, most of the record is just him t- straight up tinkering. It's pretty devastating emotionally, the, these songs. It doesn't have like the lyrical tie-ins like In the Airplane does. Um, but there are musical themes that connect the songs. There's an approach that hovers over the whole thing. It's very like hazy, mysterious. It's like someone um, wrestling with this great emptiness. Mm. And I think um, songs do a good job of uh, personifying that. But we'll see how you feel about it. You shirtless. He's holding up a goose. He looks tortured. Yeah, definitely. This one's more majestic. That's a short one. Yeah, and th- that's why I feel it It has some commonalities with the, the Elephant Six fellas because it's like, there are songs on that record that are nine minutes long. There are ones that are like a minute. 
you know, it's kind of like that total disregard of pop song structure while still wanting to deliver uh, the the concise emotional impact of pop music, which I think is what the the Neutral Milk Hotel, Olivia Tremor Controls of the world do so well. Yeah, that one, sonically, there was some, uh, it's our favorite adverb, there was some weirder stuff going on, like with the, whatever the drums were doing, like different sounds going in and out that very much sounded like they were recorded in some funky 90s basement. Uh, but it also like, you know, it, it carried itself melodically. That one I could see showing up on uh, the old sync placement show up in a commercial or maybe in part of a movie. That that one, yeah, I'd, I'd play some chips on that that album, I think. Nice. Okay, so that gets the most. The, you put, you're putting your chips on that one the most so far. Yeah, just I'd want say to kind so. Of establish. Yeah. It sort of set itself apart a little bit. It, it was ignoring conventional song structure in a way that was kind of interesting. Okay. I could see getting into that vibe. All right. All right. So let's let's give you another another take here. So uh, let's look at uh, an artist called Youth Lagoon. So Youth Lagoon. Um, Are they Australian or something? Pa- I feel like I've heard that name. No. Okay. You uh, might. I don't think. I, no, I think that he's like a from like Idaho. Okay. Or, yeah. <laughs> Idaho um, alien. Is, like a, That's is a big the, song Idaho here. is is. Idaho is the Australia of America, so um, I guess it does make sense. But uh, yeah, so this is the artist Youth Lagoon, Trevor Powers. Uh, record's called The Year of Hibernation. This is this artist's first album. This is my favorite record from them. You know, again, there was like a com- somewhat of a critical splash, you know, like it did well in the music blogs at the time, but like is not obviously enduring in the way that um, some of those elephant six records are mm. uh he made this album on an electric keyboard and really little else it sounds like Ooh. a real home recorded affair it's almost like you you might think this is wrong but like there's like a daniel johnston kind of vibe to this if like he was more hmm. together <laughs> it was more, yeah a like a more, more polished a, a bit more polished daniel johnston like that kind of same like his vocals seem like they're going to fly away uh, pretty sparse, but has like a vibe of experimentation. Like, I don't know if you'll like it, but they run the vocals through like a very weird chain. Like there's, there's something going on there in the vocal chain that is not normal. Um, and really interesting stylistic choices. So the, so the song is called 1717. And uh, I think this song pretty well sums up the vibe of the album. This is from 2011. So again, we're looking at that like, you know, vaguely a decade thing. And take us to like two minutes in, because I think there are some cool changes to this song that you uh, will appreciate. You got it. just happens to have a sound that resonates with more people yeah he makes he makes a lot out of a little i'll say yeah 
Uh, I really like that record. And it's all kind of of a similar vibe there. Like you can kind of get out of that lane, and it, but it works for the, for the runtime. It's one of those things that feels really insular and personal and yet universal yeah. in the way that uh, Elephant Six really nailed. What do you think? Is that is is it? Would you put more or less chips on that one than the previous? I'm putting more chips on that one. It doesn't necessarily mean I personally favor it more. I think I, I still have a block against the warbly thing. That's just my own don't like warbles. cross to bear. Yeah, it goes to a certain place in my brain. The warble zone. I feel like I, I hear so many vocalists like that, but it's a very for some people a very emotive, effective sound. So it's like I'd I'm like the the impartial investment banker who's like, I don't understand this, but I know that it's it's a good bet. That's kind of where I'm sitting with that one. Okay. All right, interesting. Do we have time for two, one or two more? I think one more, yeah. If you uh, want to go out with a bang here. Hmm. I was kind of bouncing back and forth between these two. Yeah, what were they? What are the choices? One is this band Lower Dens. That, have you heard of Lower Dens? No. Okay. And what else? Uh, the other is a, uh, a band called The Antlers, which you might have heard of. Oh, that does uh, sound more familiar. Googling. You don't like the warble Googling. thing. You're not going to like it. I don't the like the warble thing. If we can avoid the warble thing, if that's an option, I'll, I'll elect uh, for that. Okay. Let's go with Lower Dense. All yeah, right. Um, this is a mellow song. You know, this is not a song that I think is going to like grab you sure. and shake you around. Uh, but it's it has a it's a layered woozy vibe, which is kind of how the whole album feels. It's not like crazy big production, just great songwriting, patient unfurling arrangements. It sounds really insular, like the band just put their heads together and made it eye to eye. Um, so Yana Hunter is an insanely underrated songwriter, and the band just you know gives Yana glowing backdrops for the tunes here. Um, the album is called Twin Hand Movement. Came out in 2010. Song is called I Get Nervous. It's not, it's it's dark, but it's not pessimistic. There's like a late night feel, but it's still kind of simmering. Um, this one has like the least to do with the sound of Elephant Six, uh, but the insular vibe of the record, and that kind of gives it this like concept album feel sonically, just gives gives it that vibe where I, I feel like we can kind of, um, we, can, we can involve it in the, uh, Elephant Six stock market conversation. All right. Have any of these other bands we've listened to, have any of them been from uh, Athens, Georgia? The Elephant Six uh, stomping ground? That's a great question. I don't think so. I think Yana Hunter's from Texas. I think uh, Youth Lagoon is Idaho. Oh, yeah. Phosphorescent, I think, is Alabama. Oh, okay. That's in the neighborhood. I think is like New York and DR, maybe. But yeah, I, I... might be wrong on some of those. Hmm. We'll have to visit Athens one day. We'll do a Losing My Opinion mm-hmm. tour. <laughs> yeah. We sh- when are we going to do a Losing My Opinion live from like uh, some place? You tell me. Interesting. Yeah, we should figure that out. My people will call your people. We'll uh, set it up. Okay, yeah. We'll have our managers uh, argue with each other about it. bobbing my head more with this one already. I like those textures. Almost listen to this at the gym. This one the most because it's it's the most shoegazy. 
that shimmery full guitar texture thing that I love. Wow, so I brought you synth music, I brought you electric piano music, and it turned out that the songs you liked the most had acoustic guitar, which has a driving force, and now hazy electric guitar as driving force. So really, you've sort of... Such a hypocrite. I don't know where you are. Yeah. I don't know where your center is. But what do you think? Which which of these albums are you going to kind of throw the dart at as like, okay, I would I would put the most, the greatest number of chips yeah. on this record? I think the one that's going to pop most in the public consciousness or has the potential to at least, definitely that Youth Lagoon touched on a sound that okay. I feel like I encounter a lot. People love that sort of emotional wavelength that they were writing. Right. Uh, my personal favorite, yeah. I, I don't know, Lower Dens feels like the one that would have the most content I'd get behind, but I don't know. Hell yeah. The, a lot of these... Great. Love Lower Dens. It's interesting. You said Elephant Six, Olivia Milk... Uh, blah, 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 Olivia Tremor Control. Olivia Milk Control. Whatever. Neutral Tremor uh, Hotel. I picture a lot of those bands as more 60s-inspired, more like Beatles-esque, to harken yes. back to a couple yeah. episodes ago. But these particular songs we looked at did not have that Beatles-esque flavor to me. It's interesting. No, no, that wasn't one of my criteria. I was, was, was kind of missing that D- a little bit, if, I'll, if I'm going to be honest. Just DIY feel. Does it feel like a singular vision? Does it feel DIY? Was it sort of critically liked when it came out, but did it not get like the full yeah, court huge. press? Yeah. You know, I think, you know, if we're looking at like the Beatlesque angle, it does limit us a lot. Or, or really, I think in a lot of their cases, like the Beach Boys angle, I think a lot of those mm. folks are looking at like Smile as like even more than Sgt. Pepper as like their kind of go-to. I think it was uh, one of the Olivia Tremor Control guys, I think said they were kind of making like songs that they feel would have gone on Smile. But um yeah, I didn't. I didn't limit myself in that way. But we could revisit this and 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 uh, come back at it from that angle. Yeah, let me know how the uh, documentary is. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. Hell yeah! But what have you been listening to this week? Losing my opinion. Oh, so glad you asked. Uh, I this will be a good one. I we got some good tunes uh, to check out here today. I want to start things out with a quote or at least me paraphrasing a quote, or really just a, a brief scene from a movie that I like, uh, Train Spotting. I don't know if you've seen that one. Yeah, you've actually brought it up several times on this oh, podcast. shit. I mean, I like it. I've not yet brought it up on this show, though. So there's uh, a scene in Train Spotting that always stuck with me. I saw it at, you know, I saw it when I was a teenager. These two good-for-nothings are at the park t- talking to each other. Sick boy... Uh, says to Renton, it's certainly a phenomenon in all walks of life. And I'm going to drop the Scottish accent after Thank that. Thank you. What do you mean? Well, at one time you've got it, and then you lose it, and it's gone forever. All walks of life. George Bess, for example, had it, lost it. Or David Bowie, or Lou Reed. Some of his solo stuff's not bad. No, it's not bad, but it's not great either. And in your heart, you kind of know that although it sounds all right, it's actually just shite. And I bring this up today because we have briefly touched on how I often don't listen to music by artists of a certain age. Artists, artists get a little older, you know, they, they get their gray hairs, their legacy is secured. Mm-hmm. The elderly, the, uh, the olds, as I think they like to be called, I generally have a... A bit of a barrier up when it's when we're talking about legacy artists who release work in the uh, the two thousands, the two thousand tens, the twenty twenties. Even right. we, we've touched on this a little bit, have we not? Yeah, I think we've you know music fans in general, or I guess new music fans in general, are like pretty ageist. I think it's like a, this is like a heavily ageist industry. I think even for. Once somebody, you turn 30, you're done, kid. That's the... Uh, kind of. In pop yeah, music, or even, at least, yeah. Maybe a little less. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like kind of insanity. And then even if an artist is beloved, they're kind of not taken seriously past a certain age. Uh, with some, you know, some exceptions. But like, we're talking about like, you know, critically, you know, like, because The Who can 
Pete Townsend can pump out as many new albums as he wants. Like when he plays the show at MSG, yeah. right. But then everybody just wants to hear the hits. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I do wonder if it's just pure bias on my part, but often, I don't know, it's like a combination of things. I, there's so many artists out there. You just introduced me to four today that I'm like, oh, should I check that one out? Should I get into that band? It's like, you know, everything is competing for my attention. I want to hear somebody at their peak a little bit, you know? I want to know that you're, you're doing the, some of the best work of your, of your life, of your career, that you're in that time. Like, if you're way past that, it's like, sure, I can maybe give you my ear, but it's like, why wouldn't I just find the next person? I, I struggle with that a little bit uh, and, and some other things. We can get into it today. But what I'm actually doing on this segment is I want to show you the exceptions. I want to show you that I, I do appreciate some music that is made by uh, a certain generation of folk in a certain era, you know, way after they would be considered, quote-unquote, in their prime. Um, and that I'm, I'm not always that rigid. Uh, there is a catch, okay. uh, which we'll get into later on too. But uh, that's what I thought I'd do today: is, is share with you. I don't know what we'd call this. Well, how old, for starters, are we talking here? Sixties going What's into seventies. I mean, we're talking about. Okay, great. We're essentially talking about baby boomers who are recording music, you know, in the twenty-first century. Which there's. Oh, great. Okay, okay. So like real, a real shot. Aged, here. aged folk. Yeah, which it's not a lot of albums and artists are gonna. I, there are not a lot of that kind of thing is on my radar, but there's a few examples. Thought I'd uh, check that out with you today. Okay. Maybe I score some brownie points. Plus two. Um, now, how are you with this whole phenomenon? Is this something you, you think about, struggle with at all, or are you all up on the new Paul Simon album and all no, that shit? No, I don't. Yeah, I know you fetishize uh, 2000's Bob Dylan. We've established that. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. That's yeah, that's, that's my favorite Dylan. I I, I think... It just happens to it, it. It happens too often that, yeah, like we, you'll have an artist like Leonard Cohen, who I feel like his late, late records, like right before he passed away, uh, were even better than the records he was making when he was like in his forties and fifties. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's your David Bowie's, where it's like you know, Black Star yeah, you could be Black argued Star. as, as, you know, um, on the edge as any of his records really. Those feel like kind of exceptions. I think the records I don't like um, have any bias towards are for artists whom I've never heard of. Oh, like if they never made it and then they have this right, kind of late right, in right. life or, or, bloom. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Like a, a Charles Bradley. I'll, I can get sure, into that. Charles Bradley, uh, uh, Chris Smithers. Sure. Um, yeah, like uh, artists who, who ha have obviously gotten some respect throughout the years, but like never like exploded who are still great at, at what they do. Yeah. That, that's, that's more where I don't have the bias. I think when you talk about Paul Simon or whatever, it's like when the, when the, it's not even necessarily an age thing. It's just like when the work was just like so extremely transcendent, it is hard to kind of come back. I mean, like my bloody Valentine, even <laughs> let's say it's like, uh, you know, it's not even an age thing. It's just like when, when so obviously a band has hit an apex that's what it's more about for me. Is My like, bloody Valentine. They only have like two albums, though. I'll take whatever I can get from those guys. <laughs> sure, but you know what I mean. Like where, where it's just like there's clearly a prime. When it's like, well, uh, yeah, if you're dealing in rock and roll above a certain decibel level, it's there's a little bit of it that's like, isn't that a young person's game? I don't know. So are we talking about like no, well, harder? What we're, what we're starting with here is an album from 2021 called Lindsey Buckingham uh, by the artist Lindsey no, Buckingham. No, never listened to this, but I, I know of it. Oh, it's not by. It'd be funny if it wasn't him. Uh, no, it is. It's him. It's the uh, the Fleetwood Mac guy. Or I guess he's not in the band anymore. Wheel, wheel. Big controversy there that I don't know or care to get into. But uh, have, so you haven't heard his uh, his latest album, his uh, eponymous release here. No, but I've heard from people whose opinions I respect that I should listen to it. And I always love his guitar playing. Like, yeah, I mean, I could listen to him just jam and I could probably enjoy it. I don't love the whole album, but there's definitely more than a few standout tracks. And overall, I'm like, this still sounds like he's got it artistically going on. Like the whole package, melody, mm. his voice still sounds really wow. good. Okay. And he's using it interestingly, production, the whole thing. I'm like, okay, this, this guy is not resting on his laurels. This is an interesting thing going on here. Uh, and he's what, like... If he's not 70, he's got to be almost 70. 
So yeah, we'll we'll check out a little bit of uh, Mr. Buckingham here. The song is called "I Don't Mind." Okay. That's a real Buckingham part, yeah. Weird ass backing vocals. So, what are you thinking so far? Oh, that's enjoyable. I don't love the verse, but uh, that chorus is very, very catchy and enjoyable. You do miss Mick Fleetwood a little bit, though. I miss his rhythm section that helps to give the songs buoyancy. Um, But, no, he's perfectly capable of finding that elsewhere. I mean, like, yeah, he's, he's got some solo songs that are bouncy. I like to hear him feeling creative though and I hear that on this song fine example I say you know yeah I'm still gonna listen to Tusk more often but it's it's nice to have some alternate choices to pop in and check out love Tusk um all right so that's my my first justification uh my first line of defense for hey I listen to music by older people that's that's something I can point to there okay that was a fun little discovery a couple years ago. What do we got next? So we checked out this guy way back when we talked about hold music. Um, this is an artist, uh, Marcos Valle from Brazil. Do you remember him at all? I remember the hold music episode. I don't remember this uh, particular this guy. artist. So Marcos Valle, he's Brazilian. He started releasing records in the early 60s. And what we're about to listen to... Is like from 2020. So we're talking almost 60 years of releases. Uh, He released an album called, I know in English it translates to gray. Um, I don't know how to pronounce Portuguese. Cinzento, something like that. This is a song called Protect Yourself. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's still, I hear an artist who's still in it in a way that Hmm. uh, makes me grateful for this entry in, in their in their discography, it's like, oh, another cool album. And I don't think about the fact that it's like so far from the, the Nixon years, so far from our sweet spot, yet uh, still hits pretty mm-hmm. good. Se proteja, maybe that's how it's pronounced. Uh, let's see what you think of this one. I, I like listening to this okay. one. I'm like walking around outside in really hot weather. Well, I don't like doing that at all. How auto-tuned is this? How melodined? Se houver castigo, aguente o pavor 
Olhe pra dentro, a cura está viva na flor Depois mais forte, um banho de amor A dor é sorte de quem já sentiu Alright, so I have fun with that one I like that, that's enjoyable You know what I forgot to say What's that? Before we were talking about old artists Is Scott Walker, too Because he was like well above 60 when he was putting out his crazy like drifts albums and bish bosh and <laughs> he like takes 15 years to make an album too isn't that part of it like i think it's part of it so he sort of ages himself into this discussion but it's the, uh, the my bloody valentine effect yeah maybe it's like when you put out so little one. it's like you covet the little drips you get yeah it's like the opposite of the yeah. uh, mccartney effect um so i like that one i don't know it's like I think it's easier for me when it's artists from like other countries or that sing in foreign languages or like instrumental artists. There's like some jazz artists I could have pointed yeah. to. Who cares? Yeah. Um, my next example, we're, we're, we're turning to Japan. How could I resist? Sure. I was also going to bring up Buena Vista Social Club before. Oh, that kind of fits yeah. That it's ex exactly. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Because those, those, those musicians were all, you know. I think some of them were in their 70s when that thing hit. They're from Cuba or something, or what's the deal there? Yes, Yeah, Cuba. Uh, so this last example, this is a little bit earlier. It's like 2008, but we're still talking about uh, an artist who first came to prominence in the early 70s, as all my favorites do. Uh, but this guy, Keiichi Suzuki, uh, we heard one of his songs on the Chunky episode with our buddy Tom Rainey. Uh, he was classic, uh classic segment. He was the third song out of four, the the Honey Pie, Hachimitsu Pie band. That was his band uh back in the beginning of his career, but then he just released a million things. The band Moonriders did f soundtracks for movies and video games. Uh he has this album from 2008, so I don't know, he was probably like in his late 50s uh, by that point. I love this album a lot. This is like one of my secret obscure favorites. Um of all like modern Japanese like indie music. Mm. The name of the album is Captain Hate and First Mate Love. <laughs> it's like nautical themed. Uh, okay. The song Trans Captain Hate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he looks kind of surly on the cover. I think he's supposed to be uh Well, I mean if you're gonna get that ranking, yeah. Yeah, I mean you got it. The song is called Oh Boat of Fools, Where Would You Go? And uh this is like I don't know, I meant this is like Danger Mouse production kind of stuff. He, he collaborated with another mm. famous Keiichi, uh, Keiichi Sokabe, uh, who's a more, he's like a Gen X artist. He had a band called uh, Sunny Day Service. He's famous for that band in Japan. But the two of them collaborated. Uh, Keiichi Sokabe produced, gave uh, Keiichi Suzuki more of a an up-to-date kind of cool party sound, almost some like Gorillaz flavor in there. Uh, I just love... I love the whole thing, I and I love his like older voice in this. Actually, it just brings out a really cool quality. So definitely one of my. Uh, mm. I don't know in what other context I could have presented this to you, but I'm glad I get to share it now. Got a little bit of a danger mouse feel, a little broken bells. Yeah, I hear that. Sweet play sound. I just love that kind of K 
kitchen sink electric uh, bedroom pop sound, but I don't know. You seem a little more tepid on this one. Uh, I don't love it. It's <laughs> a lot at you at once. <laughs> it's, inter- it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's a little too electro sexy <laughs> for me. <laughs> now, how'd you feel about his voice in the mix of all that? His voice is good. I like it. Substantial. It's hefty. All right, I'll, I'll keep the sexy electro party on the boat uh, away from me next time. Well, we'll keep it yeah, folky. Keep that away from me. Keep <laughs> sexy, folky. Uh, I forgot one of my favorite records made by someone above the age of 60. Oh, uh, yeah? Uh, Gil Scott Heron. I'm new here. Oh. Uh, that record. And that record is like yeah. on the edge. That's an experimental kind of sound that sounded fresher than most of the albums coming out in that yeah, because he's a guy, like he had some stuff in the 70s, but he was never, I mm-hmm. mean, he did like, it was almost beat poetry. The revolution will not be televised. And then he had yeah, substance abuse that. problems yeah. and just, yeah, he's he's someone where it's almost like a Charles Bradley situation or like a Rodriguez situation where it's like, they just so, they almost really kind of didn't have their due back in the day. Where it's like if they if they get a moment to explore and like shine right later on in life it kind but of but with him, yeah sure but with him I feel like he was like making his his edgiest most experimental sounding work like you know Rodriguez kind of revived his older stuff true true uh, Charles Bradley kind of it, to a similar degree did but he was writing new music like this is like a left turn he's like all right I'm gonna do like some you know glitchy electro pop now yeah d- didn't he work with uh, the guy from the XX, yeah. Jamie XX, yeah. That's right. Another great older oh, yeah? artist album. I believe she was over the age of 70. Uh, Loretta Lynn, Family of Rose, that record that was produced by uh, Jack White. Oh. That's a really good album. Maybe my favorite Loretta Lynn album, actually. Let's like 70 hear it. Because I was actually going to put this over to you. What is a, a song you know, from an artist that would it would fit in this category that maybe I'm missing out on? Should we check out that? Yes. Let's listen to um, Portland, Oregon by Loretta Lynn. All right. And she wrote all these songs. Yeah, this is all her. Like, she's a powerhouse. She just passed away recently, actually. So this is from 2004. I didn't realize Jack White was uh, Mr. Behind the Console that early. Yeah, I think he was. He, this was his beginning foray into starting to produce stuff mm. for other people. All right, let's check it out. I don't know any Loretta Lynn, so... You got me hyped so far. This is probably not the best intro <laughs> to her. This is like another dimension of her. I think this is like kind of introducing someone to Johnny Cash through like the American recordings or something. I hurt like, myself yeah. today. Yeah, obviously that stuff is amazing, but it's not like where I would take you initially to show you this Too late. country artist. I'm judging her whole legacy on this next track here. Portland, Oregon. Okay, great. Let's do it. Sounds good. I'll accept Jack White in this song. I'll let him pass. They don't sound like they're shouting at each other, like the Bond theme that we listen to. <laughs> yeah, Sturgill Simpson took a lot from this, I feel like. I'm hearing a through line. Yeah, that'd be fun to hear live. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. She's great. There's a lot more to Loretta Lynn than that, but like that's kind of like a late career, like, oh, yeah, she still got it. 
So uh, to, to conclude here, both of us say 30 years from now, what are we going to do to keep it fresh? Is the, uh, is the secret just to like... Sexy electropop. <laughs> is it just work with somebody of the new generation just to have a, a partner like that? That might be part of it. To keep you on your toes. Maybe that's a secret. Yeah, that might be part of it. But I think also, um, yeah, you know, I think when we think about an older artist, like mostly we're looking at people who blew up at a certain point many years ago, because that's who we're keeping an eye on. I don't think we're we're keeping an eye out for new or burgeoning artists who have not yet hit who are in that age group. It's probably you know far fewer of them than are in their twenties and thirties. But you know, I, I think we would uh, have different criteria or come with it with less bias than like looking at the Paul Simons mm. and you know James Taylors and Joni Mitchells of the world, where it's like we want to hear the older stuff if at all (laughs) (laughs) yeah well am i ageist am i a callous biased uh bore over here are you asking me (laughs) (laughs) yeah i wasn't rhetorical (laughs) i don't know i I have not heard you talk uh, in this disparaging way about older artists and musicians i mean i think we all have those biases with artists that we love from a bygone era i think um but i do think we should be keeping an eye out for i have seen like artists walk on stage over the age of 50 or whatever like different festivals that are more like let's say mile of music Mm -hmm. right where there's kind of you know very little age gap is people that run the gamut and you know sometimes there's a vibe from the crowd where they're like oh like i'm not going to take this as seriously but um that is horrific. Like, that's just like what, you know, you're missing out on so much. Like what you just want, like one kind of perspective. Like, what are you going to get from that? It's so limiting. Mm, food for thought. I don't know why I can't get into Black Star. I know everybody loves that Bowie record. I like Bowie. I don't know what the... That's crazy to me. I love that record. Not even the title track. You don't hear the title. You don't hear magic. I'll in try the title to revisit track. it, but I don't know. I just all those guys. It feels like they got too many kids. They got too many grandkids. They got too many responsibilities to lock in the way they did in their youth. But who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll hear it. Well, uh, Bowie. Most of these, <laughs> most of these folks had a lot of responsibilities and children. They, they were just like ignoring them. They were just not paying attention to them when they were making those records. You like it's the the fire starts to go out. I got no freaking idea what I'm talking about. Let's let's wrap things up here. We'll do an album with like parents who rock. Well, an album, a, a podcast with like parents who rock cuz I I'm hearing some parental bias there and what well, you're talking like, about. Well, like I don't know, back in the day they all had kids by like 22 years old, so that doesn't say much. That's true. And they were I guess I said they were also ignoring <laughs> yeah. them, I think when they were making those yep. albums. Anyway, uh, what did we learn today? I don't know. I uh, I learned just how far the ripples uh, from the Olivent Six Collective go. They really, their ethos uh, spread far and wide in the indie music scene, it seems. Mm. And you, you got to follow up uh, with me on that that documentary. Maybe it'll get, get into I that. I will. I am going to see that documentary. If I have to go myself in a sad oh, make Emily way, go. I will do it. She'll hear this episode like, and well, think, yeah, oh, what am I missing? <laughs> Force her to listen to this circus music. Um, maybe she'll want to come. Uh, I learned that I should check out some Lindsey Buckingham, more more Lindsey Buckingham solo stuff because I just always like hearing his guitar playing. I like that like ovation style acoustic guitar tone that he has, uh, where he sounds like he's plugging it to the board. Like I just I love hearing that. Cool stuff. And uh, hey, if you out there in podcast land enjoyed this episode of Losing My Opinion, go ahead and subscribe so you never miss a future episode. Uh, leave us a rating or review. We always love your feedback. Love to hear from you. You can follow the podcast uh, at Losing My Opinion on Instagram, TikTok, or say it with me, X. X. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I uh, said a lot of artists, they lose it after a certain time, you know? It's, it's tough out there, and I could be wrong now. But I don't think so. Ooh, you put your all into that. I think you're kind of wrong. Uh, I'll say, uh, you know, so long, suckers, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week.
go.